Welcome to Donor Conception Conversations. This is the one podcast created exclusively for people who are planning to use donor conception to build their family or for people who have already built their family with donor conception. I'm your host. My name is Lisa Schumann. I'm a researcher, a therapist, and an expert in donor conception. And over my more than two decades of experience working both in fertility clinics and in my private practice, the Center for Family Building, I've met with thousands of donor-conceived individuals, children, recipients, and donors. And I have learned so much, and I'm here to teach you all that I've learned in this podcast. My guests and I will talk about everything that you need to know to have a better journey to parenthood. If it's about donor conception, we're going to talk about it. And today, I am very, very lucky because I have this great opportunity to interview uh, Dr. Allison Rogers. She's a fantastic, fantastic doctor, and you've probably seen her on the internet. She's all over the place. I don't know how she does it. Maybe she'll tell us a little bit about that. She is a board-certified doctor in obstetrics and gynecology and reproductive endocrinology and infertility. She personally experienced both secondary infertility and uh, primary infertility and has had pregnancy loss. And this has given her unique insights into reproductive medicine as a patient too. And she's well known, of course, for her compassion and individualized patient care. She's published many original research articles in the top medical journals, including Fertility and Sterility, Reproductive Sciences, American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, and Obstetrics and Gynecology. She's the Director of Education at Fertility Centers of Illinois and has verified social media accounts with over a million point two followers, where she focuses on getting accurate and really, really important medical information to her followers to empower them, to help them have the best medical decisions for themselves. You can follow her on TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and here, of course. So welcome, um, Dr. Rogers. Thank you so much for coming today. I know it was hard to, to get here. We really, really appreciate having you. You're a wealth of knowledge and so helpful to so many people. So thanks for coming. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Can we jump right in and start talking a little bit about maybe some of the things that I know you discuss on your YouTube channel and on Instagram? I really think that there's so many people out there who would love to hear from you a little bit more maybe about donor conception. So maybe we can start with donor sperm. And I know you have a weekly installment on uh, TikTok about donor sperm, but I think lots of people are curious about like, well, how do I know my sperm donor is a good donor just because he looks good in the profile? How do I really know he's going to provide healthy sperm? How do I know how much sperm to order from him? Or should I even worry? Some people say, well, should the donor have a previous history of having children or not? Does that matter? So I guess in the end, how do we really know if we're getting a sperm donor? It's a big question. And there's so much that goes into picking a donor, certainly. And some of the things from a medical perspective that I recommend to my patients are, first of all, making sure that the donor is genetically compatible with you. And if you are somebody who is single or using donor sperm because your male partner doesn't have sperm, then 
you know, you just have to figure out if the donor is compatible with you. But if you are in a same-sex female relationship, you want to make sure, and you're wanting to use the same donor as your partner, you want to make sure that donor is genetically compatible with both. All donors are screened genetically. And, you know, it's one of the things that's really important to understand about the donor process, whether it's eggs, whether it's embryos, whether it's sperm, whether it's donation of a heart, right? Like it is all regulated by the FDA. And there are very, very strict rules in place, lots of regulations, which is why it's important to find a clinic who does a lot of donor work. Some clinics just don't do a lot. And so they're not necessarily as experienced with all of the rules and regulations that are required. And that might sound scary to someone or overwhelming that there's like regulations, but really it's there for your safety. Okay. So that some, you know, you've, we've all heard these horror stories. We, maybe we've all seen the Netflix documentary, uh, our father or whatever. Right. So, I mean, yes. we, we don't want that kind of situation anymore. So there are all these rules and regulations to really protect you and your safety in terms of putting someone else's biological tissue inside your body. So that's why these rules and regulations are in place. And it's so interesting because all of these donors are screened extensively. Did you know that like some of our top, the top, you know, sperm banks, they turn away 99% of people who come asking for a cup. So it is a very selective process, which should give you some faith that there's some safety measures in place that are federally regulated. Some of that safety has to do with infectious disease screening, right? So all of these donors are screened psychologically from an infectious disease perspective. And while they do report family history and family history of concern is removed, certainly that family history is not adjudicated, meaning they do not have somebody like asking for actual records from their mom's heart attack or whatever, right? right. So it's self-reported from that perspective. But in general, it is really safe to be using donors from an approved bank, right? That gives us a lot of faith that the people who are being screened, who are eligible to use, are already sort of the creme of the creme, right? Like these are already people who are, you know, very good candidates. What I recommend for my patients from a medical perspective, obviously there's also the personal perspective of what you want a donor to look like. And we'll talk about that in a second. So we started off with genetics. You want to make sure you're genetically compatible. You want to make sure that your CMV status has been checked. CMV is cytomegalovirus. That's a virus that can cause birth defects. If the donor is positive and you are negative, then there is the potential to get an infection from the sperm. It can cause birth defects. So if you are CMV negative, then you should pick a donor who's also CMV negative. Now, 90% of us have been exposed to CMV. It's a mono-like virus that most of us have already been exposed to. So that's something that your doctor should be checking for you. I often get asked about blood type. Does blood type matter? And it really doesn't. It really doesn't matter at all, right? So if you think about people who aren't using donor donors to conceive their family, their donors are of a variety of blood types. The only reason it could be important is if you were not going to be honest with your child or something like that. There's really not a medical reason to choose a specific blood type. And certainly you probably are a much better expert about this than I am, but from the psychological perspective, you know, really the recommendations are to be open and honest with your child about how they were conceived. So mm -hmm. um, certainly there's no reason to worry about, about blood type, but CMV, genetic status, those are all really important things. Now, 
when we're talking about what we call a proven donor. So this is somebody who has proven, whether it's eggs or embryo, uh, eggs or sperm, that their biological material, whether it's eggs or sperm, can create life. And I think that people have some mixed feelings about this. Certainly some people feel uncomfortable knowing that there are siblings out there and might have some hesitation about using somebody who's already conceived children. And the truth is, and you know, that all of these donors are going to be conceiving more children before or after you. Um, It's a gift that they're willing to give. And you have to just be expecting that they are going to be able to give that life and gift to someone else also. And so that's something that you're going to have to be comfortable with. The other thing that I would say is I really like donors who are proven, donors who've proven that their sperm or eggs can make a child. So you would advise that people look for donors who've already created a life. They have children of their own or they've already donated to somebody and there's offspring from that donor. Absolutely. Now, if you, you know, really, really are, you know, for other reasons, other medical reasons are really wanting a donor for a specific reason that speaks to you from an ethnicity perspective or interest perspective or something like that. It's okay. But I think you just need to be aware that it's a little bit more of a risk. Now, speaking of risk, I think that's really helpful to kind of think about risk because people worry about so many things. And on the other hand, there's so much of this, you know, well, I want to just kind of use a turkey baster because my best friend's cousin wants to donate to me, or I found this really nice person on Facebook and we're friends and we want to have a child together and we don't need to go to an infertility doctor. Why do we need to have all these, you know, this medical workup? Can you speak to that a little bit? Because I think it's really important because I think on one hand, of course, everybody wants a healthy baby. And on the other hand, there are a lot of risks involved in doing Yeah. So let's talk through that a little bit. So certainly um, not having a workup. And listen, I've heard and seen it all. I think Um, people who find people on Craigslist to meet up with and have intercourse as a sperm donor, I think that we got to be worried about risk. So if you're using a known sperm donor, whether it's with a turkey baster or with intercourse, that is not somebody who's been tested. There's risks of infectious diseases. This is probably someone not just doing this with you. The genetic side of it, right? Like there are lots of common recessive genetic disorders. Cystic fibrosis is one. One in 23 people are carriers. I mean, there's a lot of genetic risks. And listen, if you fall in love with someone and, you know, have a partner that you're having a family with, then certainly you both should probably be screened as well before having children, right? But you have the choice of a donor. When you're using a donor, it's one of the beautiful things about donor conception, right? you get to choose exactly what you're looking for. There's certainly the CMV status. So I think those are the risks. And the biggest risk is that, and the biggest thing is that it's important to make sure there is a legal contract involved. When somebody is biologically related, they have the potential of having responsibility and to that, that child, that donor conceived child, right? Let's just say you're using a known donor or, you know, I definitely don't recommend somebody. If you meet somebody online that is wanting to be a donor, I would definitely recommend going through a reproductive endocrinologist to make sure that all of these things are in place. So there are several reproductive attorneys that I work with who work with families and potential and, you know, uh, intended parents to set up contracts to really protect their parental rights. And it's also good for the donor. If the donor is wanting to be a donor and not a parent, 
You want to make sure that they're not responsible for something that they're not signing up for. So it's really beneficial for both parties. You know, somebody you know is intended to be a donor and not a parent. It's really beneficial for both parties to have reproductive attorneys involved. And usually that may be something like attorneys can sound scary, but really it's just a contract that gets drawn up that protects your parental rights and releases parental rights of the donor. And if you're using a known donor, this needs to happen. If you're using an egg donor, not from a bank, this happens. Um, Embryos, I mean, all of it. If you're buying something from a bank, eggs or sperm from a bank, then that legal piece has already been done. So if you are buying sperm from a sperm bank, then the sperm bank has already taken care of the legalities and the ownership of that sperm is at the bank. And when you purchase the sperm, you are purchasing ownership from the bank. But if you're doing from person to person, you need to set up your own legal agreement. And so when I work with patients, right, I have a whole team. You know, obviously I'm at Fertility Centers of Illinois, one of the U.S. fertility practices. We are a big clinic. We do a ton of donor work, um, donor embryos, donor eggs, donor sperm. And so we are really set up with experts in this area, right? So we have uh, reproductive attorneys that we help patients connect with uh, and work with to sort of get through that process, that part of it, if if they need it. Yeah. So we're kind of looking at it. You know, I think people say, as you said, well, if I met somebody and I just decided to have a child with them, nobody would be screening me. But that's not necessarily a good thing. Right. I mean, it's better. Well, and that's not necessarily true. And so that's I, you know, we screen all of our patients. We offer screening to all of our patients before getting, you know, getting them pregnant. Right. So it's really recommended to that universal screening uh, for common recessive genetic disorders. Yeah, right. It's to everyone's benefit, whether you're an infertility patient or not. It's it's still good for everybody to do. And I often hear people say, well, there's nothing that runs in my family, but here's the thing. Recessive disorders don't necessarily run in families and there, a lot of them are not that rare. So that's definitely something. And the testing has come down in price a lot. Um, I think, you know, five, 10 years ago, testing used to be maybe in the thousands of dollars range where now it's in the hundreds of dollars of range. Um, certainly it's one step to take, you know, a lot of times we'll recommend. So you know, if you're using a donor from a bank and you don't want to be screened, you certainly can choose a donor that ha- is negative for all disorders. That really is helpful, right? That really narrows down the number of donors you can choose. So I usually recommend my patients who are using donor sperm, for example, to be screened. So it opens up the number of sperm available to them. Yeah. And people don't know, right? I mean, my, I have my son who is adopted nowhere in his birth family. I know the whole birth family and they say, we have nothing, we have nothing, we have nothing. And I did his screening. He's a cystic fibrosis carrier. So, you know, yeah. you just don't know. Again, one in 23, it's common. Yeah. So that's really, really helpful. And I hope the audience takes this to heart. This is really, really helpful. Where, you know, you're thinking about your future family and everybody wants to have a healthy baby, right? Of course. That's so important. Another thing I think people don't really think about, um, particularly if you're going through this thinking, I want to have a second child. You're you know, either a lesbian couple or a single mom or a heterosexual couple with male infertility problems. Very often people think, okay, well, I'm going to choose this donor or I'm going to use this person and then we'll see what happens. But maybe a couple of years down the line, they want to have another baby. How much sperm do you recommend people to have and how much do you 
urge people to kind of think through those things in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. So certainly a lot of times if patients aren't being successful using a specific donor, they'll switch donors mid-journey. And sometimes it has nothing to do with the ability of that donor. Just they've tried, it hasn't worked. They want to just try a different donor, even though it's probably not the donor, right? So I think that it's important that you know, if you want more than one child that you are looking at sort of the availability of sperm. A lot of times um, you need to look at, are you getting, you know, are you getting pregnant with inseminations and it took you six months, six tries and you needed six vials to get pregnant? Are you doing IVF where maybe you, you know, had two vials, a vial and a backup vial, which is what we recommend in case something happens to that first vial. And, and then now you have all these extra embryos. So you probably don't need, you know, extra vials. I really think it really, it depends on your individual situation. If you are doing, let's just say natural cycle insemination, you're just ovulating and we're putting sperm in when you're ovulating. And a lot of uh, couples will start off this way and it takes a few months, a lot of times you don't necessarily want to purchase more than you need, but you want to make sure you have all that you need, right? So once you're successful with that donor, I would encourage you to sort of buy some more for sibling cycles. A lot of the more reputable, bigger banks, will do. they do have a buyback program where if you purchase the vials and they hold on to it, so it never leaves their clinic. If you don't need it at the end of your family building, you can actually sell it back to them. Now, you don't get 100% of your refund back, but it's a good amount back. Yeah. And I feel like this is a good insurance policy that if you need more in the future, that you have that ability. And, you know, I've had some couples who have run out of sperm and that donor is not available for more sibling cycles. And yeah. that's hard. I think people who are already using donor-conceived children really want their children, if they're wanting more than one, to have the same donor and have that biological connection with each other. So I think that 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 is something to certainly be be cognizant of. I also would say that like sometimes people are just so happy to get pregnant and maybe it was an expensive journey because they're not getting sperm for free. You know, sperm's expensive. Eggs are expensive too. And maybe they're sort of a bit financially drained after that. But I do think that if you want more children down the road, that donor may not be available. You can't expect that donor to be available. And you should sort of, I, I love the idea of like, if you want a sibling cycle, once you are successful, not just like having your baby, but getting pregnant, like ordering more vials and having those set for you. And, you know, you may want to order more vials that you needed the first time because when you're having your next baby, you're going to be older and it may take longer. That's a really, really good point. And I hope everyone's listening to that because there's a lot of, you know, information on the internet. If you eat bananas and you're 50, that'll help you get pregnant and all these, you know, silly things. So, um, Lots you of know, as you know, right. Um, yeah. you know, all these kind of coaches saying, you know, I can, you know, make your eggs younger, but which obviously our hair gets gray. There's nothing we can do about that. So I think that's a huge point. And I hope everybody's listening to that, that, you know, it does get harder as we get older. And I think that's, it's really important to kind of consider that sperm. So just practically speaking, do you, because I know you do such a good job at really looking at the sperm, you show every, all of us, you know, on the internet, which is really great for everyone to see. Do you recommend that people will purchase a sperm, have you go through it, take a look at it, and then order more? Or should they order more initially? No, so we get, so when you're ordering the sperm um, and we get it, so we got to remember that like when sperm is cryopreserved and frozen, when it's it's used uh, like 
what we sort of would call conventional cryo cryopreservation. So we're not using vitrification like we do for eggs or embryos. It's a more older sort of technology. Um, and it's fine because usually about half the sperm die, but when there's so many million sperm, if half of them die in the freezing thawing process, then it's still fine, right? So there's still enough. And so it's important to know that those numbers do go down. And all of these donors have already, the banks already test the sperm to make sure that it survives the thaw. They do that automatically. They do a test vial. They know that the sperm is going to survive the thaw. So certainly some survive a little better than others, um, depending on how many was in the vial, all that stuff. But what I would say is that, no, you don't have to purchase extra to test it out. You should plan on just, you know, purchasing the sperm that you need for that day. And then the other thing to think about is there's sort of usually two types of vials of sperm that you can purchase. One is for ART, which is assisted reproductive technology, which is the sperm for IVF. Now, interestingly, those vials tend to be much less expensive, right? Because, you know, if you have 10 eggs, I need 10 sperm, not 10 million. And that sperm is designed to be injected right into the egg. And so they can take one ejaculate and put it into many more aliquots. So maybe one ejaculate can be, you know, divided up into 10 or 20 portions for them to sell. Whereas if you're using insemination sperm, we need many million sperm because remember that sperm is just being placed into the uterus. Certainly intrauterine insemination is much more successful than intracervical insemination, which really is intravaginal insemination, right? Only 1% of the sperm, if you put sperm in the vagina, gets to the uterus. So it's really important when we're, especially when we're using donor sperm to put it into the uterus, much more successful that way. So they need to take one ejaculate and maybe split it up into only two or three vials. And so the bank charges more because they have to give you more sperm. So it really depends on what kind of treatment you're doing, whether you're doing IUI or uh, IVF as to what type of vial you're going to purchase. But if you're going to purchase sperm, it's probably a good idea as you're thinking about these things to think about, well, you know, if some, if the sperm bank says, well, this guy only has like one vial left or two vials left, you know, that's, that's a little bit more risky. Yeah. Especially if you want more than one child. Now I certainly have couples who are just wanting one more child or one child in total. And you know, for that kind of couple, yeah. Cause then if it's not successful, just pick a different donor. But for people who are looking for siblings down the road, that's something really important. If you're, let's say we're doing reciprocal IVF, which is where same-sex female couple, one female will fertilize eggs and put it into the other donor to carry so that both partners have that biological connection with the baby, um, which I love doing. It's one of my favorite things mm -hmm. to do. If we're doing that and it's a young you know, woman, great egg supply, like maybe we're going to help them have all of their family out of that one IVF cycle. So maybe it's less important, but I really think it depends on your specific situation. Certainly, you know, my patients who are of different ethnicities sometimes have a hard time finding a donor that is of the similar ethnicity to them. Yeah. And so sometimes, and there's usually less of these donors and they're in high demand. So I think there's reasons to pick donors like that, but I, I think it's important to consider sort of how many vials they have left. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of that, and speaking about, um, you know, if you're in a lesbian couple, I think it, it's really helpful for everyone to hear about kind of thinking ahead because so often, you know, patients, I think, come in to see their doctor and they're kind of eager to have a baby and they're not thinking, well, you know, I'm 34, I want to have a baby first, 
Maybe my partner wants one, maybe she doesn't, but she's 35 already. So maybe by the time I have baby number one and she's ready for baby number two, she's going to be 37. And then she's going to come back to you and say, okay, now I'm ready. But they never mentioned it to you in the initial meeting. Right. So I ask everybody, um, Mm -hmm. I always encourage, like, let's talk about your family planning goals. What, not just one baby, but like, what are your whole family planning goals? And some couples, it's like the other female partners, like, I'm just here to parent. I'm not going to have any biological input. Cool. That's fine. That's your choice. If you're in a situation where both people want to carry or both people want to give eggs, then it's really important to evaluate both people. A lot of times what I'll do is actually, especially if we're doing reciprocal IVF, we'll actually freeze eggs on both of them, take out eggs on both of them, Mm -hmm. and then use that donor sperm. We know we have embryos created for both of them using that same donor, and then we work on getting them pregnant so that that fertility is preserved. That's great. So for everyone out there, we we really want to kind of think ahead, right? We think about your whole family planning journey. And even if you're thinking, well, you know, my wife might want to or might not want to. I'm not sure. We're going to see how it goes. Yeah. Freezing eggs. Yeah. So important. It's so important because, you know, that clock isn't stopping. And, you know, one of the things I've really been thinking about a lot is that we think there's a lot of promotion of the idea of fertility preservation for single women or women who aren't ready to have a family quite yet. I I think it's for couples too, right? Fertility preservation is to protect your ability to have a a child in the future. And it really is something to consider for everybody. And if you're part of a couple already and you're, you're together or you're plant or you have the sperm that you've chosen, then you can freeze embryos also, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that's great, right? Because it really opens up the doors and it's a phenomenal insurance policy. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's so wonderful. And I hope everyone's kind of taking this to heart and taking notes because these are wonderful words of wisdom and, you know, in the end will save you potentially a lot of heartache, right? To kind of plan ahead. You know, we all plan ahead for our career and all sorts of other things, but it's hard to kind of think about planning ahead for our fertility. Yeah. I equate it to a financial planner, right? So like your financial planner is going to help you figure out, you know, how to pay for your dreams for next year. And then also how to pay for your dreams for retirement. I don't want to just work with you for getting pregnant right this second, right? I want you, I want to work with you on how to build your family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. That's great. Just quickly, I know we don't have a lot of time, but I just quickly, since we're talking about planning, I was just wondering also about with donor eggs, there's a lot of questions um, out there about, you know, certainly we have the same situation with donor eggs. We want to make sure there's enough eggs, right? And that the donor is fertile enough that we can produce a lot of eggs, particularly in the same sex male couple, right? If they both want to use their sperm. But I think where people kind of also get caught up is, well, if I'm doing all of this and I'm going through fertility treatment and I'm seeing the doctor and we're, you know, we're being careful about the sperm and we're doing all this workup, shouldn't we do PGT treatment also? Because, you know, that's one more thing that we could be doing. And I know my eggs are young because I'm using an egg donor, but why not? This is a really good question, right? Um, And I think there's some specific reasons to do genetic testing in specific situations, but there's not a clear cut answer on this. And there's a bit of, you know, controversy maybe is a strong word for it, but just a bit of um, differences of opinion on what to do. 
if you are using donor eggs for a gestational carrier, okay, so somebody else to carry the baby besides the intended parent, 100% you should do genetic testing. God forbid there is a trisomy 21 or another malformation, like you're talking about, you know, that is not compatible with life. You're talking about putting somebody's life, you know, life and well-being at risk, someone else, right? The other thing is that even though you may have in a contract, even though you may have talked about it, even though it may be legally said that, you know, there is a requirement to have a termination if there's a problem, you can't force someone to do that. Like, really, you can't. Like, it may be legally said, but like at the end of the day, you don't have control over someone else's body. So 100%. The other reason to consider doing genetic testing in this political climate is there are a lot of places in the United States around the world where you cannot get a termination. And if there is something lethally wrong or just wrong, not compatible with healthy life, that is a reason to do genetic testing of your embryos, to reduce the risk of being put in a situation where you need a termination if you live in a place that does not allow them. That is the unfortunate truth of living here in 2023, okay? That being said, if you are somebody using a gestational carrier or egg donor for yourself, not a gestational carrier, and you're trying to figure out whether you want to do genetic testing, there are some pros and cons, and it really needs to be an individualized decision made between you and your doctor. If you are doing it for, for sex selection, certainly that's the only way we can do that. But for, I'm just like, if you're a person who just wants a baby and you know you are using an egg donor because you don't have healthy eggs, but you're going to carry your own child, there are some risks to PGT, right? There's a, a cost perspective, which I guess at the end of the day, when you're making such a large investment in purchasing eggs, may be minimal, especially with a lot of insurances covering it these days. But there's also the potential for false positives and false negatives, right? PGT is not perfect. Um, there is and can be mosaicism, and it can lead to a scenario where they tell you not to use an embryo that would have made a healthy baby. In young people, we don't see a huge increase in pregnancy or a decrease in miscarriage rates. Um, when we're using donor eggs, we don't see that PGT improves things a whole lot. Mm. And I think the technology is probably going to need to get a little bit better before we are able to, you know, confidently say that like everybody should be doing PGT, you know, certainly not everybody should be doing PGT. There are some downsides to it. So I really think this is like a conversation to have with the individual person who's using the donor eggs in terms of pros and cons and what's best for them. It, it's not like, you know, everybody should be doing this. It's a really uh, intricate conversation that needs to happen and everybody needs to make the decision for themselves. So it's not really a clear cut. Every situation can be different and how people feel about it and whether if they're using a carrier or not. There's so many variables. So you really need to talk to your doctor, I guess, about what your particular situation is. Right. So complicated, but I'm so glad we have you out there to answer these questions for us. And I really, really appreciate you coming on today. I'm wondering where, if, if our audience has more questions or they want to reach out to you to make an appointment or you know, to have a consult with you, how can they do that? Sure. So um, I am with Fertility Centers of Illinois. Our website is fcionline.com. And you can find me on social media at dr 
dot Allison dot Rogers. So it's dr dot a l l i s o n dot r o d g e r s. Right. Thank you. And are, are there any other things that people should be looking for, or um, any particular posts or information that they should be looking for to kind of help them? more with this topic? Well, I would just say that, you know, with some of the sort of stigma and negativity people may sometimes feel around donor conceptions, I think it's important to fill your social media feed with unfollow people who might not be positive about things like that and fill your feed with people who are um, showing how wonderful donor conception is, donor conceived life is, donor conceived families are, Mm -hmm. and really you know, follow in it and surround yourself uh, with people who celebrate that. Wonderful words. Wonderful. And it's it's so nice to see how, um, you know, warm and helpful you are to this community. Dr. Rogers, really appreciate it. Absolutely. So for all of you out there, um, please feel free to reach out to Dr. Rogers. And of course, you can reach me at familybuilding.net or, um, you know, on, on any audio platform or YouTube, of course. And please subscribe because that's how we keep going and how you can make sure you get to every episode. And we will see you next time.